0: starting a brand new series today called Risen. And I don't think I've ever started a series that led into Easter. I've normally have started series that actually uh, started the Sunday after Easter. But this series that we're going to dive in today, I'm very excited about. Hopefully you've had a chance to see the movie. Uh, We went as a congregation. If you haven't seen the movie, let me tell you, I would encourage you to go see it this week. Not only will you be supporting Christian media here in the United States of America, but I think it will help you make more sense of the series as we go week into week into week uh, studying uh, what does it mean, this whole resurrection? What are the implications? And is it really true that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? Um, this is a big moment, guys. It's a big moment when um, America kind of focuses focuses in on the resurrection. Now, what's interesting is every year we have this moment called Easter that comes up, right? And a lot of people, for them, it's a holiday. For, for most of us, it's a spiritual moment. But for some people in America, they just kind of focus in upon this is the Christian's holiday, right? As we focus in on risen and the resurrection during this series, I want you to re- think for a minute about how... So much of our world right now, especially our American world, but let's be honest, the globe, is focused in on the Middle East. I mean, you can't listen to a presidential debate uh, and not have the Middle East come up and what we're going to do about the problems of the Middle East. 2,000 years ago, in much the same way, the world's eyes were turned to something that happened in the Middle East. A significant moment happened in the Middle East that changed everything for the world. And for the next four weeks, we're going to focus in on that significant moment. Several things happened, not just one thing, several things happened in the Middle East. And when the word got out, it it was a game changer. It, It was a, it was, the world had shifted on its axis, so to speak. It was permanently changed. And what I want to talk with you about are the events that happened. And, um, and, and we're going to look at some movie clips and we're going to think about the implications to those things for our own lives. We're going to hold up the Bible in one hand and we're going to study it. And we're going to think and ponder about how, it, how, it, how the resurrection and the cross really do change everything for us. Now, before we run to the resurrection and before we talk about um, the risen movie, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you a little story. I'd like for you to think with me. For a minute about a, a young couple, a young couple that goes off on their honeymoon. Uh, they just got married, and they they got they did an evening wedding, so they're they're rushing off kind of in the dark to their first little bed and breakfast. They get there late um, because they had a night wedding, and when they finally get there, they they hustle in. You, can you remember those of you who who had that honeymoon moment? I mean, you're pretty excited, right? And, uh, and and they 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 get their they get their keys. They rush up to their room. They open up the door. But the room that they think that they have reserved is much smaller than what they expected. As a matter of fact, the room has a little kitchenette. It has a little couch thing. It has a, a little table and a lamp and a little coffee table, and that's it. And they look at each other, and they go, wait a minute, we've got a serious problem here. Well, the husband messes around for a minute, and he figures out that the, the couch is at least a pull-out sofa. And so, disappointed, but, but going to making the best of it right, they have their honeymoon night in that little bitty room on that little pull-out sofa, and the next morning, when it's time to go back down to the little place where you go down for breakfast, the, the new groom, the new husband, rolled down there pretty angry. He thought he had reserved something much better and much nicer. And when he went down there to fuss and complain about it, he told them what he had found, and the, the, the little girl that was working down in the, in the little bed and breakfast portion, she said, I don't understand. You're talking about room three, right? And he says, Room three. And she says, Did you open the door to the master bedroom? He goes back upstairs, and he realizes that a door that they had thought was just a closet ends up being the doorway into the big bedroom that is there. And not only is the big bedroom there, there are chocolates, there's a fruit basket, and there are roses inside this beautiful room, and he feels like an idiot. It was available all the time, but it went unused in a very important moment in their life. I want to talk to you about doors today. I want to talk to you about doors that you can't afford to leave shut. I want to talk to you about the door specifically of the cross and the door of the resurrection. Because if you've never opened up the door of the possibilities of what might it have meant that God would have come to earth and quite possibly have sacrificed and died for me, Let me just check that door and see what might be beyond that door. If you've never done that, or if you've never actually checked the door of what it means that the resurrection could take place, if it's okay with you today, what I want to talk to you about is checking some doors, because it would be a terrible thing if you lived your whole life and there was something that you had access to that you never checked the door, and beyond that door was the greatest thing. Now, there's a chapter in the Bible that I want to start this series with. And it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, seven, chapter 15, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible there, I want to invite you to turn with me to it, or maybe you've got your iPad or your iPhone or your Android device. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And before we read, let me just pause for a minute, because I want you to forever remember 1 Corinthians 15. As a matter of fact, won't you just say that out loud with me? 1 Corinthians 15. Now, a lot of people know 1 Corinthians 13. You remember that one? Love is patient. Love is kind, right? The love chapter. Did you know that just two chapters from the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, right, to 1 Corinthians 15 is what we call the resurrection chapter, okay? 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. And so you need to know that chapter because that chapter tells us about What it means that Jesus might have come back to life and what it means not just for for him or for others, but for you and how you might come back to life. 1 Corinthians 15 is called, you know, colloquially, the resurrection chapter. So let's start in the first verse of 1 Corinthians 15, if you will, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says this. By the way, Paul's writing, and I've, I've, I've put some words in bold here, so watch that. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. If you have your pen, you might want to write a couple of words right above that word gospel. Maybe you've heard that term before, but it's a simple term. It means good news. And I think it's pretty cool that Paul started saying right here in this early part of the birth of the early church, hey, listen, I want to tell you some good news. I want to tell you the gospel. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel, by this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ, watch this, four things, that Christ died, I put a little number one next to that in my outline, underlined it and put a number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, I underlined that one and put a number two by it, that he was buried, that he was raised, I underlined that one and put a three by it, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he, underline that word, appeared. That he appeared, number four. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Not not over a period of time. He appeared to them, uh, more than 500 in a crowd, at the very same time. Guys, those events right there, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that he appeared became the game changer in the Middle East for our globe. Now, real quickly, just one more scripture I want to throw in there as we begin. It's a very famous scripture, but I think about it as kind of the, 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 um, the small version of the gospel, the good news. In John 3, 16, you get that passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever... If you have your pen, under, circle that word, whoever. Whoever. Who is this available to? If it's really If there's a door here... Is it available to everybody? The Bible says in John three sixteen Whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let me pause right there. This past week I learned something new and I thought it was kind of cool, so I thought I'd show it to you. Did you notice in that little outline there that I just put there for you? I bolded a few letters. I bolded the the, the letters gospel. For God, you see that you might want to circle. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever believes in him might not perish, that P, but have eternal life, E-L. I think that's kind of cool. I've never noticed that the word gospel, good news, is right there in that verse. It's, it's It's like a summation of what the good news is all about. And then listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. As we begin this series today called Risen, we're going to talk about the resurrection. I think it's very fitting on this first week that we don't run to the tomb. I think we need to sit at the foot of the cross for a little while. And in that movie, if you've seen the movie, um, and, and you're sitting there at that cross um, long before the tomb, that is one of the most impactful parts of the movie for me. Because the people are wailing. It is, it is, it is rough to watch when you realize the death that, that, that Jesus and, and others have died on that cross. And I want to begin just at the cross today. And we're going to talk about the cross. Before we make it to the tomb, I think we have to check that door first. What does the cross mean? Why did Jesus go to the cross? And maybe more importantly than that, if it, have I really gotten it? Have I gotten it for myself that God went to the cross for me, So you notice those questions I've got in your outline. I'm asking two questions with you. And that first question is, what really happened at the cross? And the second question is, how can that change the way I live? If I really get it, what is that going to mean for the way that I live? And if it's okay today, what I want to do is I want to look through the lens of three different people. Three people who were there at the cross when Jesus was dying. Now, in the movie, Risen movie, you remember that the, the Tribune looks over at a moment, and he sees these people wailing, and he can tell that one of them is the mother of Jesus. Well, she was there at the foot of the cross. He even says, uh, quiet them, get them out of here. Um, you know, that's not in the scriptures. We get this picture, even in that movie, of, of the people who were sitting right there at the foot of the cross. I want to focus in today on three of them. So if you have your pen, let's read those. Uh, We're going to get ready to take some points and write some things down, circle some things, underline some things. But let's begin with that scripture who tells us who is right there at the foot of the cross. In John 19, the Bible says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. A picture of several people standing there. We're going to focus in on three of them together. And if you have your pen, I want you to write in that first point for me. And we're going to just chuck that door. The cross opens the door to redemption. Write that in there, if you will. The cross opens the door to redemption. To redemption. Now one of the things that you'll find when you look at the people at the foot of the cross is the most unlikely people sometimes are standing at the foot of the cross. And in this situation, there's a lady there by the name of Mary Magdalene. You remember her from the movie. Hopefully you remember her from the scriptures. And we're going to remember her even in other scriptures today. But Mary Magdalene is probably one of the least likely people to be standing there at the foot of somebody who would others would call a, a rabbi or call the Messiah, Mary Magdalene. You remember, if you saw the movie, they called her a woman of the streets. Remember that she was a woman of the streets, right? The Bible tells us that more than that, just about Mary Magdalene. It tells us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter eight, two, that um, that she had been possessed by seven demons, and that Jesus had freed her from seven. Demons. Now, I want you to just imagine this for a minute, because for most of us, we should, that's all we can probably do, imagine this moment. Imagine if you had seven demons, the bondage and the torment that you would be in, both emotionally and spiritually in your life. The Bible tells us Mary Magdalene was was demon-possessed when she met Jesus, and that he freed her from that. Now, I think that makes her a candidate uh, who might be one of the least likely people to be standing there at the foot of the cross. By the way, real quick test. How many of you are one of the least likely people to be standing at the foot of the cross? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are sitting next to the person who is the least likely? Now raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. All right. Least likely to be standing at the foot of the cross? This woman was a woman of the streets. She was, she had, uh, many people throughout the scriptures have assumed that she was an, uh, an adulterer. She had been possessed by seven demons, and she was a person who, who was in definite bondage and in chains spiritually and emotionally and then jesus comes in her life she would have been a hopeless and helpless person but jesus came into her life and he changed all that now he did that before the cross but here she is standing at the cross redeemed redeemed Stephen, what does that mean notice this scripture i put here for you when, when Jesus was speaking to Paul in his conversion moment, here is the word, these are the words of Jesus that Paul recounts later on in the book of Acts that this is what Jesus said he came to do. Listen to this in Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes and turn them from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me I just want to give you a picture of this for a minute and so I'm going to ask somebody to help me because four things happen in that scripture Valerie would you come up here and help me for just a minute Valerie you're not a woman of the streets are you you're not demon possessed are you (laughs) This is Valerie Withers. Valerie, I'm going to get you to stand right here for me. Because sometimes it helps us to see these things kind of almost metaphorically or with our eyes, okay? I'm going to leave that scripture right there, and I want you to get the picture of what God did for Mary Magdalene. All right? Valerie, put your hands over your eyes. Mary Magdalene was blind. Not only that, she was in bondage because she had seven demons in her. Spiritually, let's just call her Dead spiritually she had no life and the bible says when jesus redeems somebody watch the four things that are right there in that scripture watch what he does the first thing he does is he opens our eyes he opens our eyes now i just imagine for a minute what it would have been like for mary Magdalene to see jesus for the first time i don't know i don't know but she saw god in the flesh and her eyes were open i wonder what the first time you ever saw god was i can tell you i remember the moment my eyes were opened and the first thing he does is he opens our eyes. He opens our eyes. And then what does it say after that? He turns them from the darkness to light. Okay. Now, so we'll, we'll imagine for a minute Mary Magdalene facing one way with all of the bondage and all the baggage that are before her. And what does Jesus do? Jesus opens her eyes. And the first thing he does is he turns her from the dark old ways of living to a whole new way of living. He reveals the light to her. You get that picture? Because this is a picture of redemption. He opens your eyes. He turns you around. Turns your world from darkness to light. And then what else? I love this. It says, they, then they, you have, You be able to receive forgiveness of your sins. And you get a place with those who are sanctified. Valerie, would you just hold out your arms for a minute? This is the picture of a redeemed person who who has eyes have been opened, been turned around, now pointing towards the light and needing something. And God gives them the forgiveness of their sins. (laughs) See, every person who is ever redeemed receives. You receive forgiveness of your sin. You can't do it by yourself. Hallelujah, right, Valerie? I can't do it by myself. You receive forgiveness of sins. And then what's that last part? And I love this. That's a picture of being in a family, right? Notice that fourth thing. They are are given a place. You're given a place among those who are being sanctified. That means that's a fancy religious word for being made holy. You're being in the family of God. Four things in that little passage in Acts, we get a picture of this life that has been redeemed. I'm telling you. Mary Magdalene was one of the most unlikely people to be standing there at the foot of the cross. Been demon-possessed, been darkness-filled. And what did God do? He opened her eyes... He turned her to light away from her darkness. He freed her from the bondage of her sin by giving her forgiveness. And he made her a part of the family. Happens to be one of my favorite parts in the whole movie. I wanted you to see her talking to the Tribune about her freedom. Why did you run from us? Instinct. I've seen you before. My other life. Yeshua's death, you were there beside his mother. Was she also the woman with you at his tomb? If you knew what happened there, who cares what sees? Enlighten me then. It's beyond us. Spare me the riddles and zealot babble. Where did you take Yeshua? He's right here. Is he a goblin? That's bright. Alive again somehow. Open your heart and see. I see delusion. To keep a crusade alive. I could have what I want. Pulled from you, put you to death like that. It doesn't matter. Ah. A matter. No. Then give me the others and I'll grant you freedom. I'm already free. Alive or dead. And show me those who follow him. You look for something you'll never find, Tribune. You look for the wrong thing. Can you imagine in that moment the emotions that Mary felt when the one who had freed her and redeemed her from all that darkness, she stood at the foot of his cross and she watched him die? Can you imagine with me for a minute how heartbroken she was? But this picture is a picture of her after she's seen him risen. Before we go to the resurrection, though, just check that door for a minute and think about what the implications could be of meeting Jesus having him open your eyes, having him turn you to light, and away from all the darkness, receiving forgiveness of your sins, and being brought into the family. That woman was an unlikely person at the tomb. Now, the next person I want you to focus in on is a person who was probably the most obvious of all the people at the tomb. It was Jesus' mother. If they were going to crucify her son, she was going to be there, right? The Bible says of the first people there in that passage that were there at the tomb, it says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, I'm not at the tomb, at, at the cross, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Now, if you've been coming to Harvest Point for any length of time, you've heard us say something over and over again, and that is that this Christ-following thing, this Christianity thing, is not about religion, and it's not about rituals, it's about relationship. As a matter of fact, why don't you write that word down in point number two? The cross opens the door to relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about rituals. It's about relationship. And what, what grabs me about Mary is that of all the people that would have stood at the foot of the cross, for Mary, this, this, it must have been so complex for her. Because a shift had to happen in Mary. Have you ever thought about the shift that would have had to happen in Mary. For her to move from the place of being just the mother of Jesus to watching the Son of God die and fully comprehending that He is the Messiah who is to redeem her as well. Have you ever realized that their relationship must have changed over all those years? That along the way, not only was she the mother, him the son, but along the way, He became God living in the family. God making the family work. I mean, Mary, uh, it was a terrible thing to stand there as his mom. Not only how Jesus died. I mean, he died a, a terrible crucifixion, capital punishment death. Not just how he died, but where he died. He died in public. He died a public death, out, uh, you know, raised high for all those people to see, and he died an agonizing death. But for her, listen, for her, Hey, moms, can I talk to you for a minute? Can you just imagine, just imagine if you were Mary, if you knew you had had a child by no way of, of becoming pregnant by a man, if you knew that you had had a virgin birth, if you had seen this child never sin in your house. That's an amazing, hey, moms, how about that one? Can you imagine, Mama? I mean, no, Stephen, I cannot imagine. Well, just put on your thinking cap for a minute. Can you imagine having a child that never sinned? Can you imagine having a child in your home that never did wrong? Can you imagine watching him grow up even as a teenager? A teenager that never did wrong? That would be the only one, right? And to watch him become a man, and you know, somewhere in there, you know, He's different. He's God. You know it. And then you stand there at the foot of the cross and you watch people kill not just your son, kill the perfect child that you've watched all those years that you know is the Messiah. See, something had to shift for Mary. And I think in that, in that place, she experienced the depth of God's love and the depth of God's grace maybe more so than almost any human would have comprehended in that moment, standing at the foot of that cross, she knew what God was doing for the world. I'll say it again. She saw God and His passion for the world. You know, it's this sermon title I've called it today, Responding to the Passion of God. And what's interesting is when it comes to these events that lead up to the cross, we've come up with this name. It's called The Passion. You know, you remember that movie a few years ago, even called The Passion of the Christ? We call it The Passion. As Mary stood there and watched Jesus down the cross, listen, more than just a term, more than a series of events, Mary saw the passion of God for the world. Simply put, as simple as I know how, God wanted a family. And he wanted a family so much that He made us. And He knew we'd choose our own way, and He knew we'd go the wrong way. But that didn't mean that He didn't want a family. God wanted a family. And He chose us to be His family. And so when it came time to die, I just imagine, just imagine with me for a minute, Jesus in the cross having a little conversation with His Father. Father, is there any other way that, that this can be done that that you can redeem them and that you can build relationships? Is there any other way? Can you imagine the father saying to him? You know there's not. You know there's not another way. And then can you imagine Jesus seeing the people that were closest to him? Maybe his, maybe his disciples, maybe his own mother, maybe Mary Magdalene. And can you imagine that moment in the garden where Jesus basically said to his father, okay, then let judgment fall. But let it fall on me. I will become the judgment for the world. See, God loved you this much that he wanted you to be in the family. He wanted to have a relationship with you. And if you've never turned that doorknob, you're missing one of the greatest blessings on the other side. A relationship with the God who flung the stars into space, really, he wants a relationship with me? Read this scripture with me real quickly from Acts 2. And I took it from the message because I think it just kind of jumps off the page. Acts chapter 2, verse 19. Well, yes, relationship, right? That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. See, the kingdom of faith has now become your home country. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer outsiders. Now you belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone you see, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. Really, Stephen? All of us? All of us. That door is available to every one of us, that door of relationship, all of us. Remember John three sixteen. Whoever, whoever believes, that's any of us. The door is right there ready to be opened by you for relationship. And Mary reminds us of that. Even the mother of God? Yeah. You see, even the mother of God, beyond a human relationship, was being brought into the family of God. The cross opens the door to redemption. He opens our eyes. He turns us to light from darkness. We receive forgiveness of our sins, and we're put in the family. But then the second piece is, there's a whole world of relationship there for whoever believes. Write this one down. Here's a third third thing to think about. The cross opens the door to responsibility. It's not all about relationship and, and uh, uh, about the redemption, it's also a place where at the cross, he actually puts us in mission. He actually gives us something to do. He actually puts us on mission with the purpose that he's given us for our lives. Now, notice this person. The Bible says, I'm going to go back up to John 19. We don't have to put it on the screen, but John 19 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loves standing nearby. That's John. John is one of the best friends of Jesus, and he's also called the beloved disciple. John is there. And you remember this moment? Jesus speaks to John in this moment from the cross. Hanging on the cross, he speaks to John, and he says to Mary first, he says, woman, this is your son. And he says to John, this is your mother. In essence, what he's saying is to John, John, I'm not going to be here any longer. I'm about to die. I'm about to leave this place. And I'm entrusting into your care my mom. I want you to take care of my mom. The Bible says in that passage in John 19, notice the last thing. It says, from that moment forward, right? From that time on, Mary was with John. John looked after Mary. The cross reminds us also that it's a place of responsibility. And I can only imagine for John standing in that moment, feeling that those eyes on me and that trust that has been given to me now to be responsible with a mission moving forward from this moment. Now, by the way, the cross is not just a responsibility for John. The cross, John's presence reminds us for all of us, the cross becomes a responsibility for every one of us. That after the the cross and after the resurrection, we have a mission, we have a purpose. We are on mission to share the good news of what God has done for us in the redemption and the relationship. In John 20, 21, when Jesus was leaving the planet, after the resurrection, he said these words, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus is putting us on mission. Now, have you thought about this? This is what churches are all about. Churches are all about trying to be on mission for God, right? He's entrusted us with the responsibility of sharing the good news, the gospel, this is what para-churches are, parachurch ministries are about. This is what Christian schools are all about. They're about helping spread the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why we do the work we do in the community to keep spreading the good news. Now, here's a, here's a terrible fault, but I want you to think it all the same. What about a person in our community right now who's not in church? They're sitting at their home. They're, they're having their morning cup of coffee. They're reading the newspaper or they're watching CNN. And they've never turned that doorknob. They've never understood the redemption of God and what God did for us. They've never turned that doorknob of relationship, and they certainly have never turned the doorknob of responsibility and understood that God wants them. For them, have you ever thought about this? For them, that whole room, all right? That whole bedroom, that whole bedroom of life and relationship, it's been wasted. God died on the cross, and for them, they've been sleeping on the rollaway in the other room. Mad at the world, right? Mad at the world but never trying that doorknob to understand what's on the other side for them. Now, if you have your pen, I want to real, you know, earlier Rich told you his story. And I love that Rich told you his story, because one of the things about the, our risen stories is that every story is different. I've never had a panic attack in my life, and I love the fact that Rich says, I think that was very courageous, Rich, for you to tell us what it's really like to experience a panic attack. And the other people in this room, they know that. I want, you know, my risen story, I don't have time to tell you my whole risen story, but I, let me just real quickly go back through those three points and ask you to write a word on every one of those, uh, just in the, in the margin. When we think about Mary Magdalene, just would you write this word down, the word love, the word love? You know, Mary Magdalene at the foot of the cross reminds us that in, at the foot of the cross, we find our value. You know, there was a moment in my life where I met God, happened to be on a beach in South Carolina, that was my place that God opened my eyes. That was the place that He turned me from light to darkness. That was the place that I received forgiveness of my sin, and that was the place where I was brought into the family. It was really the first moment in my life that I realized that I was valuable to God. I knew that I mattered to some people on the planet, but I wasn't sure that I was ever fit to be valued by a holy and perfect God. Mary Magdalene She had her moment where she realized that even demon-possessed, even a woman of the streets, she could be loved by a very perfect man. And I think anybody who ever comes to Christ and opens that door and sees the other side, in that moment when you open that door of redemption and you look into that new room of redemption, you realize for the first time your value with a holy and perfect God. If you've never done that today, today could be your day to actually open that door and realize I am valued by the God, perfect, holy, great creator of the universe. And he cares for me. He loves me. Look at Mary for a minute. We talk about relationship. Would you just write another word right next to her? Write the word grace. Write the word grace out to the side of that. Grace is an image of of being able to start over and do over. And and any mom. (laughs) Any mom or dad knows that you're not perfect, right? And, and don't you know Mary knew she made mistakes? Oh my goodness, I'm a dad. I know I've made mistakes. I wish I could say I'd raise my, my children perfectly. You know what I pray over and over again now? My kids are getting ready to leave home. They're getting older and all that. And I pray, I, if I pray one prayer more than any other prayer, I pray, God, fill in all the gaps that I left, fill in all the mistakes that I made for my children. Oh God, fill in all the, the places where I stumbled and blew it. And can you just imagine Mary, the mother of God? Can you imagine how she had to open up that doorway for her own self? How she had to experience grace because she had even... I mean, we talk about letting God down. She had messed up in the house with the Son of God. She had sinned in the house and done things she shouldn't have done. And Mary needed grace. When I first understood grace, my resurrection, my risen story. When I first understood grace for the first time, when it made sense to me that God would give me do overs, I'll, I'll just. It, it was a game changer for me that I'm going to mess up and that you will wash it away. It was a game changer for me, and I'll never forget the first understanding that I had of it. It, it, it reminded me of, um, of. When we would go out in the front yard and we'd play football, we had these power lines that hung across the, across the yard. And whenever we were throwing the football and hit a power line, we'd say, do over, do over. And that play had started over again, right? And, and, I, and I realized that God had given me do over after do over after do over after do over because of that door right there, that door of grace, that door of relationship. And one more word, just one more word real quickly, down there next to John's word, power. Right, the word power out right of the side of that. Let me tell you. For my resurrection story, for my risen story, I was on a beach in South Carolina when my redemption happened. I was on a beach in South Carolina when I walked into a relationship. But it was several years later that I finally opened up the door and I understand the place he was calling me to mission. Where I answered the call of God. It was, a, it, was, it was a holy moment for me when I finally realized that, God, you would not only want to bring me in the family, but you would actually want to ask me to do your work. And, if, if, and maybe you've never been told this before, but I'll tell it to you on this Sunday morning. Uh, that's, that's everybody. It's called the priesthood of all believers. And if you've been brought in the family, you're a priest. You're to, be, you're to be priestly with the people you live around. You're supposed to be an ambassador wherever you go. You've been called. You've been put on, on mission. You've been given a purpose, right? And, and that, out of that, he says, listen, by yourself you'll fail, but I will give you power. I will give you power to do the work I've called you to do. It's love. It's grace. It's power. It's the ability to see that God's passion is phenomenal for you. There's a little part in the movie I want to show you. One more little piece. I love this guy's passion. I love his joy. Maybe you remember it. It's the idea that somebody, this guy, has gotten it. He knows the passion. Watch this. Uh-oh. Who's Bartholomew. I am he. Bring him. But you have to win by spreading fantasy. By mine own eyes, Tribune. I I I walked with him. He spoke to me. It's unbelievable, but it is so. Then conjure him up. Right now. Or show me the body. He must have shed like a snakeskin. God is not at my beck and call. God? Yahweh manifests himself through a crazy, poor, dead Jew. (laughs) Well, so it appears. What does this rebirth mean? Eternal life. For, 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 everyone. for everyone. Everyone who believes. Marvelous recruiting tool. Much better than salt. How many are you? Well, we are few for now, and our only weapon is love. Bartholomew oh. had been changed by the passion of the one he'd been living with, right? And now the news was out that he was resurrected. Hey, I want to close today's message by going to the very first scripture we read back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember the resurrection chapter? But I want to read that last little portion there. It says this. It says that after he he had died, was buried, was raised, he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Did you know that historians tell us that at the time that Jesus died, there were about 250,000 people. That's a quarter of a million people living in Jerusalem, all right? At the time Jesus died, grab that, I might, maybe I should have put it on the screen, 250,000 people living in Jerusalem when Jesus died. Historians tell us 20 years later, there were more than 110 to 125,000 people in Jerusalem who called themselves Christians. Did you just hear what I said? that half the people in the entire city of Jerusalem had become Christians. How does that happen? Well, it happens because the one they saw die comes back to life and he starts appearing to people, right? Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine having a chance to see the one that was dead? And then you say, wow, it would make you believe, right? It would make you believe in the power of resurrection. You see, that, that power... That resurrection, that story that is there is is a reminder to every one of us that God is still in the business of doing that redemption thing, that, right, opening the eyes, turning, receiving, and bringing into the family. God's still in the business of doing that relationship, and he's still in the business of putting people on mission and purpose. Today, when Rich comes to be baptized, I'm going to ask him some very important questions. But here's the cool thing. Rich is going to answer those questions because he's placed his faith and trust in Jesus. But when he's baptized, you know what that baptism is a reminder of? That he's in mission. And when he comes out of that water, brand new, put on mission to do God's work wherever he goes, right? Wherever he works, wherever he plays, wherever he lives, he's been put on mission. And that's the same for all of us. Here's the question. Have you opened the door? Have you opened the door to redemption? that You saw Valerie walk through for us. Have you opened that door and have you really been redeemed? By the way, nobody's redeemed without a cost, right? There's a great cost. Jesus died for you. Don't let that be wasted. Have you opened the door of relationship? And I'm not just talking about a one-time relationship. I'm talking about a living relationship where every day he lives and walks and talks with you and he guides your life. Have you opened that door? Have you opened the door? of ministry, of purpose, of responsibility? Have you opened the door of power in your life? There are two responses this sermon, I believe. As I was asking God how to close this sermon today and invite you towards a response, there are two responses. One response is simply this. If you've opened that door of redemption in your life and you've opened that door of relationship and you understand because you've opened that door of responsibility that you've been put on mission and purpose to share God's good news, I want you this week to think about who you would invite and who you would invest in we invite you to do it with these cards, but you don't have to do it with that. You can do it with a cup of coffee at Starbucks or you can do it with a phone call or an email or you can do it with just dropping by somebody's cub- cubicle or, or calling them on the phone. You can invest in a life and you can invite somebody towards this series, towards this Easter journey we're on, and they might just do, make a decision you've never known before. If you've already opened those doors, I want to invite you to do two things. Invest in somebody and invite them, okay? But here's the second thing. I wonder if there's somebody here, yes, even here in the Bible Belt of the South, I wonder if there's somebody here today that you've thought about this whole Jesus thing. You've considered it. You've pondered it. But today, you feel like, while I've been talking, the Holy Spirit's kind of been whispering to your heart. God's been knocking at your door. And it's time for you to reach out and grab that door handle and just see what's on the other side. If you're here today and you've never opened that door to say, is it the case, God, that you would really want to redeem me? Is it the case that you'd really want a relationship with me? And Mind-blowing as it is, is it the case that you'd want to entrust your ministry and your message, your gospel, your good news with me? If you've never done that, you can do that today. You're in the right place. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. You can pray that same prayer and just open that door. You're not, Stephen, how do I open that door? It's not a physical door. How do I open that door? Listen, children do it. You can do it. All you do is you open your heart. You open your heart. And this is what you'll find. If you will open your heart, the first thing that you'll see is that he opens your eyes. Would you pray with me? You want to pray that prayer with me this morning. I just want to invite you to pray that prayer out loud. Actually, just pray it in your heart. Pray it in your mind. Today I come today, God, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do or what to say. But I believe that you exist. And the Bible tells me that whoever believes, whoever believes, you'll give eternal life. So here I am. I'm part of the whoever this morning. I believe. I believe that you exist. And today, the best I know how, I just want to open up my heart To you, I want to open up my heart and I just want to trust you that you love me, that you care for me. I open up my heart today. Open my eyes, God, and turn me from darkness to light and set me on a path. I receive forgiveness right now in the name of Jesus. I receive forgiveness for my sins. Wash me clean. Wash away all those things. Give me a do over, God. Give me a do over. I receive life. I receive purpose. I receive mission. I receive relationship with you today. I'm in the family, God. I thank you, God. I thank you for this. Father, I thank you that you're in this room with us. And I trust not only today that you are, you're opening our eyes, but I trust that in the next few weeks, God, as we journey along this series, you're going to make the cross and the tomb that much more real to us. Not just help us comprehend it, but help us to live it out and understand the implications for our lives. And Lord, I pray you'd be in the business of change in this place. That for every man in the house who's wanting authentic, God-honoring change, that you'd be in the place, you'd be bringing change in our world. And I pray, God, you'd be doing that for every woman in the house this morning. That along the way, you'd be growing us and you'd be molding us and shaping us more to your image. I pray, Lord, for change in our lives. Help us to be more like you. Thank you, God, for this journey. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that it is life. I thank you that it's life. Thank you, Jesus. In the next few minutes, as we sing songs of praise to you and as we give of our offering and our tithes to you, Lord, may you receive this as our worship. Receive this as our worship. And Lord, we pray that you would multiply our gifts far beyond our reach to do great things. Continue, Jesus, to spread the gospel, the good news across this planet. And may your fame and your renown continue to spread. This is my prayer, Jesus. We pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.